Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, episode 59. I'm Tien Ndieb and I'd like to say that as the new president-elect of France, Emmanuel Macron, vowed to fight divisions across France, that actually I stand by French mathematicians who say, hey, that'll make things really tough for us, please don't. Yes, France proved that not only are they better than the UK and US at pastries and shrugging, but also they tower over us in not being fooled by dog whistle politics, even though loads of them have dogs. Yes, Front National's Marine Le Pen did get 33.1% of the presidential election vote, which is a scary amount for someone whose policies seem to have been borrowed from the film Iron Sky. But considering Macron is a former banker who worked under the unpopular President Hollande and only created his political party 13 months ago, has many policies that are sensible rather than popular and is only 39, he's not done too badly. It seems France like underdogs as well as, uh, dogs. I honestly can't tell if I'm happier for the French that they've managed to avoid a Le Pen leadership or if I'm happier for the UK because once again Nigel Farage, Katie Hopkins and the Daily Mail were all horribly wrong about something. The Leave EU campaign, you know, the one founded by the penguin of politics, Aaron Banks, when he read out loud from the Book of the Dead, well, they tweeted, the French rolled over in 1940, this time they've saved Germany from the fuel and the bullets. Because it seems in 2017, according to them, not electing a Nazi is the new electing a Nazi. To be honest, if they've spent this whole time reading history books backwards, it would explain an awful lot. In the UK local elections last week, it seemed that British people are also tired of right-wing bigots, as UKIP lost all but one council seat. And there is something very pleasing about them being told to go back where they came from. Sadly, that was the only good news for anyone other than the Conservatives, who swept up the formerly UKIP voters when they realised that Theresa May is actually just Paul Nuttall, with hair and friends who she wouldn't even bother to try and pretend would ever attend a football match in Liverpool. The Conservatives also took votes from the Lib Dems and Labour, gaining a total of 558 council seats across England, Wales and Scotland. Yes, Scotland, including Conservatives gaining councillors in Glasgow in one of those events that makes you spend the next three days glancing up at the sky expecting a pig to shit in your eye from 20,000 feet. This landslide victory, so-called because it's a result of years and years of erosion, followed a speech from Theresa May in which she said the EU were to blame for the failure of Brexit so far, and that EU officials have timed hardening their negotiating stance to affect the general election. 
Yes, that's right. May has said that the EU are trying to sway the election results of an election she's only called because it's in her favour. She probably thinks it's the EU's fault that they're still around after the UK's referendum result last year, and it's selfish all 27 member countries haven't just ceased to be. How incredibly selfish of Pangaea to break up into different continents into the Oligocene period 20 million years ago, despite the shifting of tectonic plates being fully aware that in 2017 Theresa May would be trying to stay Prime Minister. How bloody dare they? Theresa May followed that up by going to Cornwall, where she insisted local journalists were locked in a room until she could give them a three-minute interview. But no filming, because, you know, it seems that a strong and stable leadership is one that hopes the press will have to say nice things about you as they're now suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. Then she went on to eat chips, pulling the sort of faces that any normal person would only make if they were being forced to chew on Eamon Holmes' scrotal sack while imagining chewing on Eamon Holmes' scrotal sack. Yes, in 2015, then Labour leader and extra on The Simpsons, Ed Miliband, was destroyed by the press for being unable to eat a bacon sandwich without looking like he was gulping down lumps of his own headstone. But here we are in 2017, and it's likely our Prime Minister is one who can't even eat chips without getting angry about it. Is it because she's worried that somehow Labour will catch up? Perhaps she prefers waffles. Maybe she just has a fear of dips. Or maybe it's just that she thinks human food tastes really bad and couldn't wait to hide away and drink a gallon of petroleum to take the taste away. Meanwhile, Labour dealt with their mass local election losses by saying it wasn't as bad as predicted. The sort of thing you'd only say when you climb out of a car crash and see half of your vehicle is on fire and all your passengers are dead, but hey, at least the funny bee on top of your aerial is still intact and you really like walking. Meanwhile, other Labour MPs who are still certain being in opposition means they have to oppose themselves all the time said it was an unmitigated disaster because there is nothing that helps your general election prospects like telling everyone just how shit you are. Earlier in the week, Shadow Home Secretary and owner of the most patronising voice since that supply teacher we all had in year eight, Diane Abbott, had cocked up hugely on LBC Radio when she was interviewed by Nick Ferrari, a man whose name makes him sound like a car thief, but whose face and attitude make him appear like someone who actually steals women's underwear from washing lines. When asked about Labour's policing policy, Abbott said that they'd be hiring 10,000 officers for £300,000, which would mean that those officers were only getting £10 a year, and really that's not enough, you know, even for community support officers. Then she corrected herself and said actually it would be £80 million a year, which is still only an annual salary of £8,000, which isn't enough at all unless you plan on acting like the New Zealand police officers who bought several guinea pigs to teach kids about road safety. Yeah, seriously, look it up. They're guinea pigs, but they've got, they've got little police hats on. Oh, it's amazing. But Abbott's interview is horrific to listen to. And while it is on LBC, which is only ever really heard by cab drivers, you know, and people who walk past the open windows of cabs, Labour should have known that it would go viral and make sure that she was prepared or, you know, use anyone else in the party at all. I mean, how can you run a party like that? What sort of incompetent move will they do next? Lock journalists in a room? It is something that the Labour leadership need to be much, much better at, though, and have needed to be better at ever since Jeremy Corbyn became leader. On Sunday on the Andrew Marr Show, Marr asked Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell, are you a Marxist? And while you can complain that that's quite a vicious question to ask, as it's based on the fact that a number of people associate Marxism with, say, Lenin, rather than understanding as many different factions and ideas to it, and that Marr hasn't ever asked Theresa May, are you an authoritarian or are you an android, the fact is McDonnell still answered no, but there are definite benefits to reading Das 
capital. And to be fair, he's not wrong. As someone who's read all of about five pages of it and then got distracted and checked Twitter, Das Capital has influenced many politicians, economists and others, including even George All the Jobs Osborne, who admitted Marx had it right on globalism earlier this year. But the better answer from John McDonnell should have been, which Marxism school of thought are you referring to and exactly which political and economic theories, Andrew, leaving Marx to explain specifics or look stupid? Or he should have just said... Yes, there are many benefits to watching Duck Soup, which is a weak joke, true. But after the interview, the Conservatives put a meme on Twitter quoting John McDonnell saying Marx called for higher taxes, which is wrong because Marx believed in progressive taxations, i.e. higher taxes the more you earn. But he also felt like taxes were the life source of bureaucracy, comparing it in several German newspaper articles that he wrote as like serfs purchasing privileges from feudal lords. So I wondered why the Conservative meme was so wrong, thinking that Marx called for higher taxes. And then I remembered this bit in Duck Soup. Your Excellency, General Cooper says that the Sylvanian troops are about to land on Fedonia soil. This means war. Something must be done. War would mean a prohibitive increase in our taxes. Hey, I got an uncle who lives in taxes. No, I'm talking about taxes, money, dollars. Dallas, that's where my uncle lives, Dallas, Texas. <laughs> Yes, that was a very tenuous way to justify a shit joke, but I feel oddly proud. Anyway, if all that wasn't enough for your week, on breakfast television this morning, angry thumb Ian Duncan Smith rapped some of Eminem's Lose Yourself, referring the lyrics to Diane Abbott's radio fuck-up. It was so horrible that I won't play it for you here, but I feel like there are many other Eminem tracks that would be more suitable for IDS to rap, considering his time at the Department of Work and Pensions. For example, Guilty Conscience, Just Don't Give a Fuck, Bad Meets Evil, My Fault, Rock Bottom, Still Don't Give a Fuck, Kill You, Till I Collapse, Evil Deeds, Love the Way You Lie, Bad Guy, Assholes or Brainless. Any of those would do. I look forward to him rap battling Michael Gove and then them somehow both losing. Oh, and Neon Veruca and President of America Donald Trump rushed through a vote to dismantle the Affordable Health Care Act as he said it would make Obamacare essentially dead. If starting by killing something off isn't a terrifying sign for a healthcare bill, I don't know what is. Still, on the plus side, if this bill does kill off a ton of eligible voters in the US, they won't be able to vote Trump back in in 2020. Hello, you. Thank you again for listening to this show. I hope you are well. I'm genuinely excited about you hearing the interview on this week's show. I think it is a real good one. Um, I mean, I think that they're all good ones, but, you know, this one is a good do. Uh, but more on that in a second. Firstly, a little bit of admin. Um, thank you very much to Rick and Sam for donating to the Partly Political Patreon. And you can do that too if you enjoy this show and want to donate. Um, you can head to patreon.com forward slash bro. And trust me, even a quid a month really, really does help me put this thing together. Or if you'd prefer to do a one off rather than a monthly thing then you can do that at ko hyphen fi forward slash parpolbro kofi.com um that's i missed the dot com there just add a dot com ko hyphen fi dot com or don't um i've got some face-to-face interviews coming up and i'm gonna have to buy some new mic equipment for those so all your donations so far are going towards that and they are hugely helpful when i'm buying scratch cards to do while searching online for sound gear i mean oh oh dear no seriously it is hugely appreciated those scratch cards are great for one a quid of course uh, if you don't want to or you can't donate to the podcast of course that is also Trey cool this show is free like a democratic utopia ideal but in which case could you instead please review the show five stars on iTunes or Stitcher like an authoritarian state where you have to pretend that everything is brilliant also do subscribe to the show if you haven't already as it means you get this the second I load it up online at some silly time of night and please 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 spread the word to anyone else that you think might like it or in fact anyone you think might not like it just spread the word I mean really it's a lot like election campaigning. Uh, 
Um, also, I plugged all these shows last week, but tickets for the Stand Up for Refugees gig at the Birmingham Rep on May the 31st with Joe Lysett, Nish Kumar, Al Murray, Mrs. Barbara Nice, Alison, June Smith and me are selling very fast. Um, you can grab them on the Birmingham Rep website and all proceeds go to the Help Refugees charity. Um, and there is a show in Bristol on June the 12th at the Tobacco Factory with Gary Delaney, Josie Long, Angela Barnes and more. June the 20th at Hartford Theatre with Adam Hills, Eleanor Tiernan and me again. And June the 21st at the Brighton Dome with, and we can announce it this week, Dara O'Brien, how exciting, Shappy Corsandi, Mark Steele, loads more and me to ruin it all again. So grab tickets for those things on the website for those venues. Um, also, tickets are selling very nicely for the Fuck the Election gig on June the 8th at the Phoenix and Oxford Circus. Um, this is a gig that I've put together basically to, it's going to be a stressful day, it's going to be stressful weeks leading up to it if you care at all about politics. And I thought on that evening for a couple of hours we can just get really drunk and watch some good comedy. Um, I'm going to be hosting, I've added Mitch Ben to the lineup that already includes the brilliant Marcus Brigstock, Josie Long, Johnny and the Baptist, Bishop K. Ali, Bill Alzafar, Chris Coltrane, Joe Wells, and hopefully more to be announced soon. And I'll be honest, I'm unlikely to do a proper podcast that week, as really, what is the point when the results are going to be out like three days later, unless I maybe do global politics or something, um, which I might do. Let me know what you think. And uh, so if you come along to the gig that night, you will hear the stuff that I probably would have podcasted, and we can all drink lots until we feel suitably dead inside to not care about the inevitable hellscape that follows. Uh, tickets for that are on the Phoenix Cavendish Square's website, and I keep tweeting it and Facebooking it loads too. You know how the internet works, right? I'm not your dad. Um, similarly, the kids show I'm doing with Tatton Spiller from Simple Politics is called What's This General Election Thing All About? And that is on June the 4th at 1pm and you can grab tickets for that at underbellyfestival.com. So please bring your small people along. Right, admin done. Um, on this week's show, I talked to Meevan and Joseph at Full Fact. Exciting. You know, the site that I blab on about pretty much every single show. And they tell me how that they get actual facts, how they stay completely non-partisan, independent and all about the issues with providing fact-check knowledge through a snap election. Also, there's stuff on local elections, general elections, French elections, projections, objections, and a dorsiflexion. Well, okay, the last one is simply because I've got a slight foot cramp. Hang on a minute. Ah, fixed. Much better. Right, but before all of that, there is, of course, this. Felicitations, France. You saw that Le Pen was backed by all those alt-right Pepe the Frog twats and subsequently ate their legs off. Yes, while Macron, a centrist former banker, wasn't the ideal choice for a country disillusioned with the establishment, it seems he was a firmly preferable candidate for president to French tastes than the racist narrative of Marine Le Pen, a woman who constantly looks like if you asked her to house it, you'd return home to find that she had bought you some milk but also gnawed through your sofa. It's easy to focus on the fact that she got 10.6 million votes, or 33.6% of the vote, but it's also worth noting that it was the lowest turnout for an election in France in 48 years. Yeah, that was still 74.6% turnout, which is like looking at the UK's exam papers with a big D on them, and France complaining that it only got an A-star without merit. At 12.1 million people not voting, more people didn't bother than did and voted Le Pen, and 4 million ballots were spoiled or blank as a protest. And probably, as with Trump and Brexit, some of those who voted for Le Pen knew exactly what she stood for, and others less so with an anger and a want for change. 
Macron wasn't the most alternative candidate for president in some ways. He's very pro-EU and he wants a new relationship with Berlin, which is quite unpopular right now. Uh, he's a former banker, while France is in a state of being anti-finance and establishment. He's embraced integration, which is again a source of discord in France. Uh, he's promised tough reforms and he's young and middle class. But then in other ways, he's quite alternative in that up until just over a year ago, he didn't even have a political party until he created one in En Marche. On top of all those things making him sound like he could be a character in a Cameron Crowe film, on Friday, as French news had to stop broadcasting political content, tons of Macron's campaign data was hacked and lots of documents including emails and financial data was released online by Wikileaks and the documents were all mixed up with fake files. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure this all has nothing at all to do with Marine Le Pen's many links with Russia. If I had a camera, I'd look knowingly at it right now. Yeah, right now. With a smile, I'm doing it. You can't see, but it's pretty perfect. Macron now has to assemble a government which may be trickier than assembling Avengers, considering the few numbers in his own party. And then there's parliamentary elections in June, which is either going to result in a coalition or somehow 280 people are going to have to apply for a job as En Marche MPs and somehow get that job between now and then so he can have a majority, or loads of other MPs leave their parties to join his. And I'm pretty sure that's going to happen, especially considering En Marche sounds like it's probably how the elephant song must go in the French version of The Jungle Book. I'd be in with that. So Macron is probably going to be the president of a coalition government then, and then he's going to have to try and uphold his promise of political renewal, which might be harder in a coalition depending on who's in it, and he can't just draft in loads of established politicians, otherwise that's not really political renewal either. And as well as his own government, it's going to be very interesting to see what he does to do with the UK's Brexit negotiations. In a statement on Brexit, Macron said that Mr Farage and Mr Johnson are responsible for this crime, which while it gets referendums and crimes confused, which is not good for the French legal system, it does mean that Macron won't be giving Theresa May an easy ride to Euro Tradeland. Which is a terrible theme park, by the way. I mean, the Greek slide is really too much for most people. And will he bring France what it needs overall? Well, Macron has to somehow repair a pretty divided country. Sound familiar? And only time will tell. We'll check back in with France on the podcast after their parliamentary elections. But until then, I'm going to relish telling far-right trolls on Twitter that they lost, so they should really get over it. According to a long read in The Guardian, and yeah, that is the only way to say that sentence, uh, journalists and researchers at the paper have found yet more links and evidence to suggest that data analytics firm Cambridge Analytica had quite a role to play in the Brexit referendum campaign and possibly result. If you remember back in episode 47, I interviewed Leslie Hallam about the way in which psychometrics and targeted advertising can influence opinion. And overall, to summarise, he said, yeah, it can, and it's really scary. And by analysing the information on your Facebook page, adverts could potentially be directed at you that appeal specifically to your personality, driving you to vote in a certain way. I won't go fully into the article on The Guardian as it's very worth a read and it's quite dense in terms of content, but the official Leave campaign group Vote Leave spent £3.9 million, half of its campaign budget, on a web analytics company called Aggregate IQ during the Brexit campaign. So did three other Leave campaigns, which is illegal to do under UK election law unless coordinated campaign expenditure is declared, which it wasn't. And it appears at least one of those other campaigns was contacted directly by Aggregate IQ, making it definitely look a lot more like a coordinated affair. The Guardian has found links between this company, Aggregate IQ, and Cambridge Analytica, the latter owned by Robert Mercer, who is a computer scientist and millionaire and good mates with Waste of Skin Nigel Farage, and funded Steve Bannon, you know, the alt-right advisor to Donald Trump, who looks a lot like something you forgot was in your fridge until you find it six months later in a terrifying condition. And they funded Steve Bannon to create Breitbart. 
So Cambridge Analytica were also hired first for Ted Cruz and then for Trump's campaign. And while it is hard to pin down if psychometrics data analysis can definitely sway minds, there's also enough evidence to suggest it can definitely help. Anyway, to cut a very long story short after explaining it quite badly, it looks like the only way to uncover how much of the Brexit referendum was the fault of Cambridge Analytica would be via a public inquiry. And of course, that would require the government to suggest that perhaps the vote wasn't democratic and they shouldn't be ploughing ahead with the general election in order to gain more power. All I'm saying is, until this can be uncovered further, maybe just delete some Facebook details, eh? I mean, if nothing else, it'll give your friends something to be concerned about and you can laugh as they wonder why both your relationship status and favourite films are now blank. Do read the full article. It's called The Great British Brexit Robbery by Carol Cadwallader. And if you have more time on your hands, find previous podcast guest James Patrick, J underscore A-M-E-S-P. He's written a five-part series of articles for Byline.com on his investigations into Cambridge Analytica, which go even more in-depth and are terrifying. So read that and then throw your computer in a river and give Minority Report a low rating on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, just to be safe. Here's a fact for you. Facts are super important. Fact! According to Wikipedia, a fact is something that is postulated to have occurred or be correct using verifiability. Wikipedia does also say that a fact is a Belgian anime convention and the self-titled album of a Japanese hardcore band called Fact, but, you know, we'll stick with the first definition for now. My favourite fact, out of, out of interest, I know you're interested, is that wombats poo in cube shapes. Yeah, they do. You can have that, and then you can spend inordinate amounts of time, like I do, imagining how if they all pooed in a certain way, they could build giant wombat poo structures all over Australia. See how great facts are? They are great. Fact. Facts have a hugely important role in politics, of course, even more so in the last few years, when it appears that all facts took a holiday during the entirety of 2016, allowing big statements to be written on buses with little to no factual basis whatsoever, or US presidential candidates to just make things up in speeches as they went along. And look how terrible things have got because of all that. Really terrible. Fact. Since then, alternative facts and fake news are terms that have been in the media constantly, with an influx of false statements circulating the internet, both from fake news sites and also from people like Donald Trump's senior advisor, Kellyanne Conway, who at one point made up an entire massacre that didn't actually happen, even though UKIP leader Paul Nuttall is certain his friends were victims of it. Sadly, in this day and age, it can be a lot easier to read, click and share statements that may not be true, rather than, you know, spend time researching for the actual facts behind things. But luckily, while the internet has spewed out tons of not-truths in amongst, you know, its cat pictures and gifts of parrots dancing to Elvis, it has also meant that it's much easier to get access to proper information as well. Which is where full fact comes in. Full Fact is the UK's independent fact-checking charity who are completely impartial, and whose aim is to help halt the spread of misinformation. With a general election coming up, I thought it'd be useful to talk to them about what they do, how they do it, what you can do to ensure you find the facts, and why it might be useful to use them in the next few weeks. And, well, all of the time. In just the past few days, I've used them not only for this podcast, but also to check Labour's comments that crime is up under the Conservatives, which the answer to that is actually, uh, in general crime, uh, numbers have fallen, but some crime has risen, and changes in recording practices mean that it's hard to say. And the Conservatives' comments that the government has protected school funding, which is actually correct right now, but it's about to fall, especially once inflation is taken into account. See? Nothing is easy. Ever. But it is very nice to have the facts. Fact. I spoke to Joseph O'Leary, who is a senior researcher for Full Fact, and Mevan Babaker, who is the Digital Products and Supporter Communications Manager, which is an excellently long job title. Well done, Mevan. And they both told me all about facts. 
As in, you know, things that are correct, not Belgian anime or Japanese bands. But I bet they could if they wanted to, because they've got facts. Here's Meven and Joe. So, hi, Meven and Joe. Thank you very much for talking to me. Um, first question, mainly for the listeners, although they should know what Full Fact is now, because I bore them about it most weeks on my podcast. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about what Full Fact is and why it was set up? And also, really, if you feel like uh, the importance and need of Full Fact has kind of grown in the last two to three years. Uh, yeah, so going uh, going back to the start, Full Fact um, started publishing in 2010, and the reason at the time was that... Um, Basically, uh, politics was bewildering. Um, there were, um, you know, parties on all sides who were making claims, and uh, you know, the same with the media. And people just didn't know who to trust because, you know, people were, weren't being very transparent with their sources. Um, people were just talking past each other. And the idea behind Full Fact was, wouldn't it be great if there was um, a place that went and checked those claims and provided people with the sources, links to those sources, so that they can make their own minds up. And so it's a way of kind of seeing through the noise and finding something that, you know, gives you the ability to place informed trust. And that's what it was all about. Um, And, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that I was quite surprised because I've been using your site quite a lot in the last few years. I didn't realise you set up in 2010. I think for a lot of people, we assume uh, that kind of uh, fake news and things has only been is a very recent phenomenon. Yeah, we've been talking about this for quite some time. <laughs> and uh, when we started, we had to really convince people that bad information leads to bad decisions. And we had this whole spiel about different ways that that has caused like mass uh, bad effects in, in public life. Um, but now all you need to do is say post-truth and fake news and everybody kind of understands. Um, so it's been a real shift in the past past year, really, is uh, that we've seen people really understand why fact-checking is important and why transparency and scrutiny is even more important than ever. How how do you do it? How do you, how are you fact checking these things? Is so you know that you cover quite a lot of information on your site. How uh, how are you getting it? How are you getting it all when when the everyday person is finding it quite hard to find some of this stuff? Well, um, a lot of it comes down to um, familiarity with where all the facts come from. I mean, actually, you'd be surprised that you know if you looked at our site and looked at where we get our facts from. Um, a huge proportion come from, say, the Office of National Statistics that produces loads of the information that we have uh, in this country, and government departments produce their own figures as well. So part of it is just a familiarity knowing where to look. Um, but it's also understanding that even though these are the sources of our figures, um, they're often you know, quite confusing. Uh, sometimes they can be quite misleading in how they present the numbers as well. So if you're a member of the public and you go to one of these sites, you're not necessarily much better off because you're trying to wade through loads of numbers that you don't necessarily know what they mean. You don't have any context. So part of fact checking is about having the expertise as well, having a kind of flair in communication to be able to take what are often quite dry numbers that don't mean anything to anyone and kind of make them fun and engaging. And that's a big part of what fact-checking is about. And that's our whole tone of full fact. It's like, um, you know, facts can be accessible to anyone. And, you know, here they are in um, a way that's accessible to you if you don't, you know, live and breathe politics every day. That's the idea. Mm, It's kind of, it's the research that you might do if you had many, many years of time available to you. Um, 
and it's our, it's our job to basically do that for you, lay out with all the nuance and the complexity and to give it to you so you can make up your own mind in the simplest possible way. But a lot of it also comes down to calling up the people who made the claim and asking them, where did you get your information from? Um, what sources were you using when you said this? Why did you interpret it in this way? And trying to sort of unravel the many different ways that one spreadsheet can be interpreted yeah it's because uh, i was gonna i I've, ha- I've looked at certain government reports and and uh sort of uh of national office of statistics and things before and you there is just so much to wade through to find the one little bit you're interested in um and do you do you think that sort of part of internet culture and, and clickbait and and social media do you think it's made it harder for people to get to the correct information i think you know people are less patient now i think to find it but also you know facts of, or supposed facts are thrown out uh, right there and it, you know people find that a lot easier to do than look in a report so uh, has, has online culture made us less good at fact checking do you think it's just not an easy job that's the problem um I, even so i i'm in the comms team uh, and i hang around the fact checkers an awful i've been around for like three years now and i would still say trying to find one fact <laughs> on one thing is incredibly <laughs> difficult. Even when you know the spreadsheet that you're looking for, you know the statistician, you know the, all the releases about it, it's still really hard to interpret it. Um, so I think I wouldn't really blame internet culture so much, but there is an awful lot to check these days. Um, and there is an awful lot of information parading as the best and most reliable information. So it's about placing your trust in things and having the time to kind of unravel the complexity that exists, which is hard. Yeah, 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 definitely. And 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 do you think that it, do you think people have got? I mean, because your site's obviously been around since twenty ten. Have you noticed uh, a surge in use? Do you think people have got more savvy since uh, the fake news post truth thing came? Uh, sort of got more into mainstream language. I like to think that people have got more curious. Um, I, I'm not sure about Savvy. I mean, me even might have a view on that. But I think, as, as me even was mentioning, because uh, there's there's almost um, a meme going about everyone's using these terms fake news and post-truth, um, I think people are a lot more aware, aware of it. Now, whether that means they actually change their behavior and, you know, wait a few more seconds before clicking share when they see that actual claim. Um, I wouldn't know. But it's, uh, I mean, our our traffic has certainly increased a huge amount. And we've been getting requests from all kinds of you know, TV and radio asking, you know, oh, whoa, what's this thing called fact-checking? You know, what do you do and things? Um, <laughs> so there's definitely curiosity in the brand of fact-checking and how fact-checking I mean, we've actually been expanding our work to schools lately as well because we've been getting oh, wow. you know, yeah we've been getting interest basically from from teachers who are saying to us um, you know we've we've seen your work recently um, this is the kind of thing I want to teach my class um, can you do you have any resources to help us because critical thinking is you know broadly speaking critical thinking is is important and people see that importance at a young age as well so that's where we're trying to I think hopefully trying to hit in the future. I think it's really hard if you're going the choices you have as a consumer of information is based in in the face of all of this fake news stuff is either to blindly trust everything that you hear to be blindly cynical of everything <laughs> or to be completely apathetic and be like there's no way I can make sense of this um and I that's what fact checking is meant to do is meant to give you a way out of those choices it's meant to say well here's the best available information you don't need to blindly trust or be blindly cynical we can tell you what the the lay of the land is here's 
best available stuff that we can give you. Here's something to help you place your trust selectively. And what, what my favorite thing about audience numbers is two days before an election or a vote, our numbers like quadruple. <laughs> and that's kind of when everybody wakes up and everybody's like looking for the facts on the one issue that they care about most that's going to help them determine how they're going to vote. I think it's just people aren't politically active all the time. But when it matters, a lot of people, a couple of days before a vote, a lot of people wake up and realize that they have a responsibility to vote and they want to make an informed vote. And I think there's a big feeling of, I don't know enough to be able to vote or I don't know enough to be able to have an informed vote. And I think I'm really proud of the service we offer because it helps people make that choice. Definitely. It's something, I mean, it is very hard to keep up with politics all the time. I, I do it, you know, for the podcast and generally for my comedy material. And every week I'm watching the news and I still find if I miss a day, I haven't got a clue what's been going on. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's tricky. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's really tricky. And, and I think it's also, because I, I know that uh, I follow, obviously, you on Twitter when you fact check question time or, or Prime Minister's questions. But do you think, like, that is enough. Do you think these shows should just have fact checking on them anyway? Because I find a, a lot of that influences. I, I hear people sort of say sound bites from those programs back at me without ever having looked up <laughs> what those sound bites are to do with. Mm. Um, you know, is it is it enough to just have the the fact checking available? Do, does it need to be kind of a bit more prevalent in in live debates and things? I think it absolutely needs to be more prevalent. And not only does it need to be more prevalent, it needs to be more instantaneous. So the stuff that we've been secretly working on is automated fact-checking. Um, because we're sitting on all these many claims that we fact-checked from 2010, um, we see them being repeated an awful lot. The nature of public debate in the country is that politicians and campaigners repeat themselves. That's how you get a message out into the world. Um, so what we can do is build tools that automatically spot every single time a claim that we've fact-checked has come up in a new place. Wow. And that might be question time, that might be Prime Minister's questions, it might be a TV debate during an election. And to be able to, within a second of them saying the claim, bring up the verdict in real time overlaid onto the screen would be pretty cool. <laughs> so um, we're, we're trying to make as much of that possible for the election but obviously it's a snap election um but regardless of the election we have plans to start releasing these tools which we're using internally um at the end of the year so there's a lot of exciting stuff hopefully that'll be coming out very soon yeah that's absolutely right because i remember there was very briefly uh, might have been the new york times or somewhere did a a trump uh, fact checker on twitter i think it was like mm. a google chrome plugin and every one of his tweets would have the the correct fact underneath it <laughs> or, or was meant to and i i don't think it's still available sadly but it was uh yeah it was used quite a lot i think yeah very useful indeed um, and so this, so automated automated fact checking would be an, an amazing idea. Do you think that would also possibly dissuade people from putting out statements that aren't correct? I mean, it's very hard to say, I guess. It's uh, it's always a race, really, because um, like we could we could actually show you um, examples of where, say, someone has put out a tweet and it, you know that tweet was incorrect, and they end up putting up a correction maybe a few hours, few days later, and the correction gets a fraction of the retweets that the original tweet got. So you kind of think, oh, great, something went wrong. Even though we got them to correct it, it didn't really undo the damage done. 
Um, so I think speed is a really important component. And Meven's absolutely right. It's, it's being instantaneous is, is one of the most important things. Also because, I mean, we, uh, at full fact, there's something we called... Uh, there's something we call the they know you they know we check effect, um, which is basically I mean it sounds really sinister but it's really not it's um, <laughs> it's basically um, it's it's the the mere fact that we do fact checking and that we publicise it widely and we have a wide audience um, creates an extra cost on people who who want to make a claim that's unsubstantiated because they know that someone out there is going to check them and potentially cause embarrassment about that. And the sooner that we can get out that kind of response and rebuttal, um, the sooner that we can maybe secure a correction. And, you know, as you know, the, the news can travel so fast, you know, uh, uh, one day, you know, we'll be talking about um, NHS waiting times, but a few hours later, we might move on to the royal family. And if you don't get something in that window that's a rebuttal of something that's been said, then you might as well give up because everyone's moved on and you haven't yeah. done the damage that's been done. One of my favourite corrections was um, during the last election, the 2015 election. Um, remember that? <laughs> it was yeah. So long ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a it was news night. Um, they made a claim at the beginning of the program. Um, we tweeted them and emailed the editor and. Um, at the end of the show, they corrected themselves. That was one wow. of the fastest turnarounds of corrections we've ever had. Mm. So, hat tip to uh, Newsnight. That is that's fantastic. And uh, do you? Um, well, in fact, a couple of questions uh, based on that. But do you find has, has the lead up to this election been? Have you had a lot of work on your hands, or have you found that it's been a bit <laughs> a bit easier than say two years ago? You know, with this I kind of they know we check. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's been it's been pretty hectic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the day that the election was announced was my first day off in a while. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> Back in the office <laughs> that evening. Um, oh uh, We have we did have a snap election plan and we are now putting it into place. Um, and the we have partners who we work with, and it's the main bulk of our work right now has been getting those partners into a place where they really want to get stuck in and um, be a bit bolder this election and, and, and say more stuff. Um, yeah. It's important to say, actually, that we, we, we couldn't do what we do without our expert partners. I mean, fact-checking isn't just... Um, you know, a bunch of young, bright, optimistic things in a room looking for all the information. We we need we need that established expertise as well, and we need to be a network for that. And so, um, yeah, for instance, whenever we do immigration stuff, um, an organisation called the Migration Observatory at the University of Oxford, um, they're experts, uh, independent experts in the field, and we often kind of. Um, use their work, they use our work. We work together, basically. Um, you know, again, we provide the kind of top-level um, mass audience appeal, and they have uh, they they do the the more in-depth analyses that we don't have the resources to do. Um, and we have that network, and we couldn't do what we do without it. So it's a big part of our election work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. We'll be back with Joe and Meevan in a minute, but first... Elections over here, elections over there There seems to be elections every bloody where Elections every night, elections every day And who to bloody thank for this is Mrs Bloody May The local elections last week definitely proved a lot of things. One is that the UK has more places than I think. Two is that counting takes bloody ages. And three is that while the counting takes ages, the advent of 24-hour news means that they really do have to say a lot of bollocks to fill time while those people count. Oh, and number four, in the case of Northumberland, is that strawman opposition can actually work when it's literal strawman opposition, as the Conservatives were denied majority control of the council when a Lib Dem candidate drew the biggest straw. Yeah, really. I mean, next time someone asks if the UK democratic system is outdated, tell them that the entire structure of the governing body of Northumberland was decided by who got the largest piece of a dead stalk. In terms of council elections, we also know UKIP were pretty much wiped out, losing 114 seats. Labour suffered huge losses of 320 seats, with a loss of overall control of 10 councils, and the Lib Dems lost 37 seats, which coincidentally is the amount of seats I lost during a week-long game of extreme musical chairs. It was pretty harsh. And the winners were the Conservatives in this local election, with a gain of 558 seats, which is enough for them to set up a small theatre that they'd probably then cut the funding for and close immediately and turn into luxury, unaffordable flats. The SNP gained 31 seats in Scotland, obviously, and Plaid Cymru in Wales gained 26, while the Green Party gained six over the UK, winning a total of 40. The Greens have actually just made a formal complaint to the BBC, as after making gains and holding 34 seats, they received little to no coverage, while UKIP only won one seat and lost everything else, but seemed to be on all the news channels constantly. The Greens do have a point, I think, and there is a constant joke that UKIP will never lose their seat on Question Time. But let's be fair, I did really, really enjoy watching various members of UKIP have to do interviews as they watch their pointless one-argument bigot gathering disappear from the map. There is little more enjoyable than a nationalist party finding out that no one in the nation wants them whatsoever. But while it's easy to think that UKIP's loss is the Conservatives' gain in a way that, you know, it's a zero-sum game for anyone centre or centre-left, and not just because UKIP now have zero anything and aren't part of any game, the reality is that while the Conservatives assimilated UKIP into their great big Tory bunch, 
Also, they gathered Lib Dem Leave voters and Labour Leave voters as well. If you look, for example, at Birmingham in these local elections compared to the 2016 local elections, Labour lost 3.7% of the vote this time round. Lib Dems lost 5.9% of the vote and UKIP lost 5% of the vote, while the Conservatives gained 13.5% of the vote share. And we can sort of guess that put together that maybe that's due to May's Brexit stance and she's dragging over Leave voters who feel like UKIP have done the only one thing that they could ever bang on about. Maybe it's people who are sick of Lib Dems being so solidly Remain and have either lost faith in Labour or aren't too keen on their Brexit stance. And yeah, I'm also really worried about the missing 1.1% too that didn't go to the Conservatives. I mean, what happened to them? Are they okay? Why does no one seem to care? Oh, and in the mayoral elections, Labour gained only Liverpool and Manchester, which Andy Burnham smashed with 63% of the vote, as though he has something on everyone in Manchester. What does he know? I mean, you know, I like Burnham, but he's not very exciting, is he? I sort of think of him as like a Nintendo Me character you'd create if you wanted them to resemble no one in particular. But Labour did very well in the cities and then lost out in the marginals, such as West Midlands' mayoral seat, which went to the Conservative candidate. West Midlands is Dudley North, which is a marginal Labour seat, and Dudley South, which is a marginal Conservative seat. And Labour lost the Tees Valley mayoral election to the Conservatives, which comprises of Stockton South, a Tory marginal, and Stockton North, a usually safe Labour seat. And while that doesn't look good for the Stockton North Labour seat in general, Labour lost 0.04% of the vote, and you do wonder how much it is to do with Tees Valley only becoming a combined authority last year, and that its name sounds less like a governing area and more like a shit cafe. But the fact is, looking at the general election, we know that Labour might be alright in the cities, but in the marginals, it might be less than marginal. Labour did gain blur drummer Dave Roundtree as a councillor in Norfolk County Council, though, which is pretty cool. Though I am worried that this might incentivise Labour to use Blur's music as backing tracks, and I really don't think Death of a Party would be a wise choice. Meanwhile, in Scotland, the Scottish Conservatives more than doubled the amount of councillors they have from 87 to 191, and took seats from mostly Labour, but also all the other parties as well. Possibly a reaction to Sturgeon's increased call for a second independence referendum, or maybe the entire country is just trying really hard to make the pandas in Edinburgh Zoo feel under pressure to have more cubs. As I said last week, there are a number of factors that mean we can't guess the general election results from these ones. Turnout was very, very low in some areas, for example. Uh, For the West of England mayor election, it was only 29.72%, which is really, really poor. People do often use local election votes differently, knowing that they relate to the council. Uh, Certain areas didn't have a local vote at all, and registration for the local election was already closed by the time Theresa May announced the snap election, uh, which did gain a lot of registered voters after that date. But there is no denying that the Conservatives have done really well, and that UKIP are dead and their voters have all been absorbed into the Conservative husk, even the ones that were originally Labour. The Lib Dems seem to have lost their Leave voting supporters and are only doing well in areas that they can never hope to win an MP seat, so it's completely pointless. SNP could be challenged hard in Scotland by the Tories, and Wales is a big old mess where it could really be anyone's. And Greens might do pretty well, but no one's going to put them on TV when you could have five hours of Paul Nuttall trying not to cry instead. As for the general elections, we now know that Labour are pledging no tax rise for anyone earning less than 80 grand a year, which is 95% of UK earners, but a tax rise for those who are earning over 80 grand a year in order to subsidise that. This has, of course, been criticised by a number of people who earn 80 grand or more, saying that it isn't very much money at all. The Tories said Labour wants a tax aspiration because, you know, there is nothing more aspiring than already having a lot of money, right? I mean, you remember those classic tales of achievement? Person with money, tries their best, gets more money? Ugh, great stuff. 
Meanwhile, the Conservatives also seem to think that £7.20 is an adequate minimum wage, even though I think it's aspiring if you work for Deliveroo and want to save enough money to do anything other than work for Deliveroo. The top 5% of earners in the UK pay almost half the tax, so Labour's plans would increase that. The Institute of Financial Studies says there is a risk the very wealthy might find new ways to avoid tax, so I guess it would just be the same as it is now then. Or they might move away. I mean, if they weren't contributing anyway, then it just means we're getting rid of useless rich people, which also brings down the overall net migration figure. I'm totally in. Labour have also pledged to recruit 10,000 new police officers, although we aren't sure if that's for £10 a year each or not. Who knows? Diane, any clues? They have pledged to give NHS workers a pay rise of more than 1%, bring back training bursaries for nurses and bring back free parking at hospitals for staff and visitors, which is really good because there is nothing worse than getting your ambulance clamped for leaving it out the front of A&E for two minutes too long, eh? Then Labour also said they're going to restore student grants, bring back educational maintenance and carers allowance and cover all of this with reversals of the cuts to corporation tax, capital gains tax and inheritance taxes. But we're going to have to wait for the manifesto to see if it'll all actually add up. Meanwhile, in between Theresa May blaming the EU for Brexit and telling people that she's not doing TV debates because she's having debates up and down the country, which she isn't because she won't meet with any public and locks journalists in a room, the Conservatives haven't really revealed much of their manifesto yet. But one thing Theresa May has said is that the Conservatives will pledge an extra 10,000 staff to work in the NHS mental health services, but they haven't said how they'll fund it. And with NHS funding set to fall again next year, this seems a bit of a premature pledge. Theresa May said that spending records on mental health services are at record levels, but there is actually no way to fact-check that. So says the website of this week's guests. Full fact. The government haven't actually published stats on changing in mental health funding since 2013, so we haven't got a clue. What we do know is that in the 2016-2017 financial year, 57% of clinical commissioning groups said that they plan to reduce their spending on mental health care. To be fair, if Theresa May really had any inclination to help people suffering from depression, she would have resigned months ago. In terms of their election campaign, the Conservatives have also said that there are no plans to raise taxes after the election, but they won't back a 2015 pledge that ruled out income tax or national insurance rises. Hey, I'm sure we can trust Theresa May's word on this though, right guys? I mean, remember when she promised not to have an election before 2020, right? It is very hard to criticise Labour's policies when we don't know the figures behind them all yet, and they've not been in power since 2010, and when they were, it was a very different Labour Party entirely. But the Conservatives have now been in power for seven years, and what we do know, for a fact, is that food bank usage is at an all-time high, there is an 8% fall in education funding, child poverty is set to double by 2020, homelessness has risen 16% in the last year, air quality is shit, inflation is higher than wages, and Theresa May can't eat chips properly. David Davis has said that he's certain the UK won't pay £100 billion to the EU, which, judging by his record, could mean that we pay £999,999,999,999 billion instead, and we now have a 45% higher chance of a no deal at all, according to Lord Kerr, who drafted EU legislation. But despite all the Brexit shambles and the terrible state of things under this government, Jeremy Corbyn is still very, very unpopular. Labour is currently at 28.4% in the polls today, while the Conservatives have risen again to 46.5%. So, you know, maybe, maybe lots of other people hate eating chips as well. I mean, I suppose they do make me feel bloated sometimes. Hmm, maybe May has a point. With Corbyn and May refusing to take part in TV debates and May locking journalists in a room, it seems like neither will really get taken to task over any of their policies, and for May especially, she's just going to ride on knowing that the country's going to back her carrying out Brexit. 
as she says, to give her a stronger hand, as though if you all vote Conservative, she'll become the Iron Fist and then we'll have to sit through 13 hours of whitewashed boring narrative while everyone ever suffers. Our only hope right now is that if the TV debates do empty chair both Corbyn and May, Britain might end up electing an empty chair as Prime Minister, which would be a total win. It'd definitely be supportive and stable and have backing. Well, you know, its own, even if no one else's. Right, before I wrap up election chat for today, a very quick... Do you have opinions? No, I think they taste bad. I think that you mean onions. Yes, they're disgusting. Hey, that's an opinion. Hooray for onions. Hooray for onions. I remember being given a tip years ago at the Edinburgh Festival by a PR person. That's not proportional representation, that's uh, press press relations. Uh, I think they're related to people in the press. Anyway, I remember being given a tip by them, and they said that the key to good PR is to say that things are going really well, even if they aren't. You know, even if your show is selling badly, tell everyone numbers are great and it's going well. That way, people think it is and they are more likely to come. If you say, nah, it is empty and awful and everything's going shit, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy as it makes everyone that might come to your show think, well, fuck it if I'm going to sit through that then if everything is awful and shit and no one else is going. With the Labour Party at the moment, either everyone does seem to realise this PR tip and is on self-destruct and honestly doesn't care if there's five more years of Conservative rule, if it means that they might possibly get back to the Labour Party that lost in 2015 instead, or they don't realise this PR tip. Personally, and you know this show is completely partisan because, well, me and my thoughts. And I did read that apparently it's bad podcast etiquette to give you my own opinions on my own podcast, but this entire show is bad podcast etiquette, so it's fine. I mean, have you heard the jingles? Personally, personally, I feel like the Conservatives getting a massive majority is fucking terrifying. And they are good at the PR, right? They rarely apologise. When they have infighting, it doesn't end up all over the press. They are sure of what to say on TV every time and fit in with the party line, even if you know the facts are different. And it works. Possibly, you know, because it's just easier to programme in the same code on many of them. I don't know. I know people don't like Corbyn, and I'm not sure that he'd be a particularly good Prime Minister either, but I do know that he would be better than Theresa Robot May. And if you don't like him, but you also don't like Theresa May and find the idea of a Conservative government terrifying, telling everyone how shit Labour thinks just makes everyone think, oh, Labour's shit, I won't vote for them then. I don't think Labour can win. I, You know, who knows, it's 20, this, this day and age, 2017 maybe, but... If unhappy Labour supporters are about to hold their noses, as they say, and if even 30% more under-25s register and vote, it might not be a total Tory NATO. It's self-destructive or simple PR. Those are our options. But, you know, what do I know? I haven't written any books about wizards, have I? Anyway, back to the full fact team. Which brings me on to the other question I wanted to ask, actually, is uh, are there certain areas that you find are harder to fact check than others? Are there certain things that uh, in politics that are harder to get the exact information about? Very much so. I mean, it varies a lot. Um, probably the hardest area is um, defence or foreign mm. affairs. Um, yeah. Just because, um, I mean, in defence, obviously, so much of the information that you might be able to get hold of is, is just classified. And we, you know, 99% of our work is is 
is publicly available information that we've gone out and dug, dug up. Um, so classified information is a real roadblock. We can't do a lot with that. And also foreign affairs. Um, it's basically, it's partly because we don't have as much expertise in the workings of other countries. But also, you know, if you've got you know, statistics about um, the war in Syria, for instance, I mean, who who actually do you go to that has reliable statistics on that kind of sure. topic? We're very lucky in this country because we've got uh, a very very established organisations, institutions that we trust to provide, in, you know, information we, we, we can rely on. Um, in other countries, uh, they don't necessarily have that. And in, on the international stage, that's very difficult to find as well. So it's really difficult when you don't have that foundation of trust to go out and fact check something and give people something they can rely on. We, um, we know these fact checkers in Argentina called Chequiado. And when they do FOI requests, uh, they sometimes get told that they have to come into the office, come into the actual department and pick up the papers that um, actually have the information that they want on it. And this one time when they went in to pick up the papers, the papers were all blank. Oh, and God. the guys were like, well, this isn't any information. There's nothing here. Where's the information we requested? And the officials were just like, no, 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 it's there. It's just printed on really, really light ink. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and they were just at a standstill <laughs> and they couldn't do anything about it. And they were, it was hard to push that forward. And to, what do you say in the face of someone that says there is something written here when there clearly isn't? Yeah, that's that feels uh, sort of like a a, 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 um, a Darren Brown kind of mind trick, <laughs> rather than a, a you know a, a government a government, um, a government office. It's sort of there is something there, believe me. Uh, terrifying, um, but yeah, that must make things a lot easier in this in the UK because I was wondering if it if it does make things. Uh, a good deal easier having a number of independent organisations to work with. You know, we're quite lucky, I think, in the UK that we have, some, you know, supposedly free press and we have, uh, you know, things that aren't state-owned. We have NGOs and things like that. So does that make things a lot easier? Yeah, absolutely, because there are, there are, there are organisations that have been set up to basically either publish statistics separate from government or to oversee the use of statistics. For example, we have the UK Statistics Authority and it's their job to make sure that things are being reported accurately. Um, but when they publish something sometimes and say that it's misleading, it doesn't necessarily go as far as it should. So we've been working with them to kind of strengthen the relationships they have with the BBC and with other broadcasters so that when they do say something, it actually holds some weight. Um, mm. And we're, we kind of have these institutions, but we haven't really given them any kind of um, any kind of backing or support. Or And sure. so it's really important that we make embolden them a little bit to do a bit more and to kind of grow into the role that they've been given. Yeah, there's a, a previous guest we've had on this podcast, uh, a man called Michael Marshall, who's um, part of the UK sort of skeptics. This is like, he was discussing uh, with us about how the, uh, you know, for example, the press has to be accurate, but it doesn't have to be truthful. If you see, I mean, it doesn't have to say that uh, it can re if it reports, uh, a, you know, the Associated Press, if, it, if they report a statement that was said, they can say that they re report it verbatim, but they don't have to say whether anything in that statement was incorrect or correct um and i and i guess that's the same with a lot of the authorities yeah also when we started um we we were the we made some corrections requests of the daily mail and the sun um and doing that eventually led to them creating their 
corrections columns because they didn't have them before that. Wow. So actually just making the requests and using the rules that we have in place kind of strengthens the accountability that already is there but has kind of been forgotten about a little bit. Mm. Um, so we are looking at all times for ways that we can intervene to strengthen the ecosystem. What are the rules that need a bit more welly? <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite. <laughs> that's brilliant that's really good i didn't realize that was that was you guys that did that that's very very commendable um and so uh so how do you make sure that you are non-partisan that you are an independent group because surely there are there's probably always accusations that facts are pro one way or the other uh how do you make sure that you're not doing that um well independence is probably you know the most important thing to us because that's what yeah, that's really what distinguishes us from a lot of other fact-checking movements that are out there. And um, the main things that we do um, to uh, pr- uh, safeguard that, we um, we have obviously uh, the, uh, the the cap so that no no one source of our funding comes from uh, uh, just what uh, you know, not too much of our funding comes from one location alone. Um, we also have an in- uh, policies on conflicts of interest for our staff. Um, for um, people who work with us, um, we have our own operating guidelines, so that we know that when we uh, when we write the work, when we write the content that we do, um, uh, we make sure that the person who's written it you know, doesn't have a, a personal conflict of interest. Um, we're also uh, run by a, a cross-party board of trustees, so we make sure that you know it's not just the Conservatives or Labour that are, are giving us that kind of backing um, from the charity. It's um, we make sure that's uh, across the board as well. And just generally, if you, whenever you go to any full fact article and you want to read what we've done and maybe you're you know, suspicious of, well, how do you get, you know, how do you come to that conclusion, full fact? Why should I believe you? Um, we um, always, without fail, link to our sources so that um, everything that we do is something that our readers can check and that they can replicate exactly what we've done and come to their own conclusion. So we, you know, we are hugely transparent and we have the processes in place to make that happen. We also have restrictions on staff's political activity. So none of us are campaigning. None of us um, can actually tweet anything super political. <laughs> um, so there is like a restriction on that as well from us. That's really restrained of you. Do you just go to the pub and shout at each other after work? Is that how you... I don't know how you'd get out of your system otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> you can't tweet to each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It can be quite tough, actually, because you know you're literally on you 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 go to Facebook or something and you see things that you have opinions about and you're like, no, no, don't touch your keyboard, (laughs) go somewhere else. (laughs) But actually, like, I feel I was very opinionated before I joined Full Fact, and actually joining Full Fact and and understanding that all the complexity and nuance that exists within these issues has kind of made me less and less like uh, into. shouting down one particular side <laughs> so in in many ways it is about widening your own your own views and being a bit more curious about the other side's um views yeah, i'm actually definitely... yeah that's the same same experience as you actually me and I, I i feel like i sit on the fence well everything these days because yeah, exactly. i just know that oh no no there are statistics that suggest i'm wrong so i shouldn't say that <laughs> it's ridiculous <laughs> 
<laughs> I had it with the. I think it was. Um, I think it was might have been about education funding till twenty twenty or something. I was. It was an argument. I checked your site about it, and the actual facts are that it was somewhere in between what both sides of this argument were saying. <laughs> somebody was saying it was a lot less, and somebody was saying it was a lot more. And yours, your site was. I think it was eight percent less, but that was a lot. You know, and I was like, all oh, right, both of you are wrong. Fair enough. That's. <laughs> it was quite quite a relief. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing how much that happens. Actually, you, know, you get this thing when you tell people about your job. They say, "Oh, politicians, they lie all the time, don't they?" And um, you know, sometimes I, I find actually politicians don't actually seem to lie. They just kind of seem to talk past each other. And you know, most of the things that you see, it's very very rare that a politician will say something and there's absolutely no basis for it whatsoever. Like it's just it's just really really un, un, unheard of that. You know, there's normally something that they've done. To maybe you know maybe they've been technically correct, but they've presented it in a slightly partial perspective or something like that. That happens all the time, but very rarely do you just get total, total left field. You know, made made it up completely. That's really really rare. That's nice. To Thank know. That's very nice to know. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, what a relief. <laughs> Good. And um, there's some faith left in humanity. What was other than your site? I mean, it sort of sounds like a strange thing to to get you to recommend other people. But are there other than full facts? Are there other efficient methods of checking? Sort of like if, if people get their manifestos through their doors, um, and you know, are there good ways that people can go through them and find information easily? Are there other things that you'd recommend, other places you'd recommend that they look or read up? Or what can what can the everyday person do if they don't have a lot of time on their hands? Oh, just full fact. Just full fact. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, I always like to ask in case you also have any other favourites. Do you have any other sort of writers or, or, or uh, journalists or people on Twitter? If there's anyone else that you recommend that you also enjoy following for uh, well, factual information we aren't the only, only fact checkers around so there there is also bbc reality check and channel 4 fact check as well um channel 4 fact check do do less uh, political claims and more kind of verification of images and stuff um but reality check has just been set up and is starting to do the kind of stuff that we are which is fantastic um so i would recommend them uh, as well i don't know joe do you have any suggestions well, for anyone I think uh, who who uh, you know who actually has a maybe a specific question they want to look at more directly, um, I'd, I'd actually put in a shout for um, organisations like Wikipedia. Now, I, I say that uh, knowing that you know some people will think, "Oh God, Wikipedia, you can't trust that." Um, but actually, as long as you know the difference between a primary source and a signpost. Um, Wikipedia is basically a site for signposts. It's it's somewhere you can go when you've basically got almost no grounding in an issue, and you just kind of want to know, you know, what does the land look like? Where are the kind of sources coming from? Because Wikipedia, you know, a lot on Wikipedia has citations that you can go to, and then you find the actual primary sources. Um, and actually, it's something I do sometimes when I fact check as well. When I fact check at full fact, I start by looking for signposts. And the internet's full of them, and you just need to know the kind of best places to look. And they really help you get by without having to necessarily go really deep into the primary sources that are normally horrible. <laughs> there is this also fan fantastic outfit called Simple Politics that has kind of popped up, and they do these really fantastic explainers of the 
like the way the government works and how democracy in the country works. So it's it's really good for that, and I would highly recommend it. Cool. There'll be uh, we've we've had uh, Tassa from Sim Politics on the podcast a couple oh, of great. times, so he'll he will be very pleased that you recommended him. Um, <laughs> so um, a uh, couple more questions. One one probably hopefully a more fun question, but are there anything is there anything that gets searched for on Full Fact more than anything else? And is there anything particularly weird that gets searched? You, you know, have you got any favourite things that come up more often than they should? There's some really disturbing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, probably the the weird, the strangest one is um, how long do murderers serve in prison? Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. Uh, it's one of our most read articles. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really really bizarre because it was never. I don't even think it was that big at the time we wrote it, but um, people keep searching. People that people are fascinated by it, and so we've been <laughs> we felt the need to update it quite recently. Um, oh, that's terrifying! <laughs> that does very much sound like someone's going. Well, if I do it, how long will I be in there for? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just scoping it out. That's terrifying. Well, and um, right. Well, but lastly, and and very importantly, um, how can people sponsor Full Facts? I know you're now doing your your snap election campaign, which means you're going to be working insanely hard for the next few weeks. Um, and how can people sponsor you? And uh, also, also, I sponsored you. I think it was during the referendum, and I got one of the best stickers I've ever got, which was that one with a moustache on that said, "That stat doesn't mean what you think it means." Uh, yeah. Please bring those back. Please, please, please bring those back. I want to stick them everywhere. <laughs> okay, just for you, I will bring them back. <laughs> thanks, thanks very much. <laughs> um, so we are running a crowdfunding campaign to support the work that we do. Obviously, we are actually just 11 people. Um, everybody thinks that we're a lot bigger, <laughs> but we're really not. Um, and we do often punch above our weight. But for the election, you can imagine the number of claims skyrockets. Um, and to do justice to that and to have a good overview of the issues that people care about and to be able to look at the things that all the parties are actually saying in enough depth, we need to grow our team really quickly. Um, and the crowdfunding campaign that we're running at the moment is about scaling in that way. Um, and if you could make a donation to it, we'd be really, really grateful. Um, it's at crowdfunder.co.uk forward slash full dash fact. Joe, do you want to do your plea? (laughs) (laughs) Please, please help us because it's there's too many claims, claims, claims everywhere. Um, But also, like um, more regularly outside of elections, um, we we have like regular people who sign up for monthly or one-off donations. Um, We have a newsletter, so if you kind of if you like to keep keep up to keep up the tabs with um, the latest fact checks hot off the press, then you can uh, you can sign up to those. Uh, that's all uh, on our website, basically, fullfact.org. It's very easy to find. Um, Meven's responsibility is all the fundy, the fundraising stuff, so she'll know exactly where you need to go. Um, it, but yeah. the, a monthly donation, actually, is, is slightly more than just a monthly donation at Full Fact because it means that we can safeguard our independence. It's not just about it's great to have money to pay everyone. But it also means that having a wide base of funding actually makes us safeguard that thing that we cherish the most. Um, because we have a rule that we don't accept more than 25% of our funding from any one place, which makes it very, very hard to grow. Sure. <laughs> and as we've been talking about today, um, there's a lot more demand for fact-checking and having a wide base of funding is a fantastic thing to boast about. So 
it would be really we'd be really grateful if anybody could chip in and help us with that Great, great. And I'm sure now they all know that they can find out how long they'll get for murder. I, I'm sure you'll get the just <laughs> donations flooding in. <laughs> Various macabre groups around the UK. <laughs> Huge thanks to Meven and Joseph at Full Fact. It was a lot of fun talking to them. And I really do use their site so often for things that I talk about in this podcast, general arguments on social media and general usage in between shouting at the news. Um, they are super useful and you can find them at fullfact.org where you can also find a link to their crowdfunding site. Uh, they're also at Full Fact on Twitter, which is worth following because they often live fact check things like Question Time or Prime Minister's Questions. And they're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fullfact.org as well. I believe they're also on LinkedIn, but I have no idea if they use it because really, whoever does? I mean, I'm still on there, but I only ever check it once a year to see if anyone else is actually there or if it's like a barren wasteland. And it's generally empty apart from someone posting about how they were influenced to change their business after seeing a beetroot or 10 tips on how you can lose logistics to stop crying at Pixar films. Please do sponsor Full Fact if you can and just also use their site. Direct other people to it and when you get your local MPs' promises through the door for the election, why not check Full Fact to see if what they're saying their party has done is actually true. Or, like me, just spend time popping Full Fact links into other people's Facebook arguments, then muting the conversation and disappearing into the night like a fat ninja. A finger. A ninjacked. No, you're right. Both of those are shit. Fact. I've got a few guests lined up now um, for the next few weeks. Thank you for your input on the Facebook group and the Twitter as to what you want these podcasts running up to the election um, to include. But I'm still on the lookout for more. So as always, if you've got a subject you'd like me to interview someone about or someone you'd like me to interview, then please, please let me know. I should also say I've had a few emails from some of you, which has been lovely. Thank you. Um, asking me to interview the likes of people like Owen Jones or Maria Mazzucato or various politicians and well-known economists. And oh God, I would love to. I would love to interview all those people. Um, however, as this podcast is pretty much all done by me, if they don't respond to my emails or my tweets or whatever else, it is quite tricky um, to get to ask them. They're quite busy people. So if any of you have any direct contact with anyone like that and you think you can give them a nudge to let me fire badly written questions at them for 25 minutes please 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 do link me up and of course you know you can let me know all these things by dropping me a line on the twitter at parpol bro the partly political broadcast facebook group or partly political broadcast at gmail.com or by yodeling really loud into your nearest ravine and i'll use my specially crafted ear horn to pick up the sounds when the wind blows in the correct direction e email is still easier still <laughs> After asking you for 2017 Conservative election campaign slogans two weeks ago and Labour campaign slogans last week, this week I inevitably asked you for potential catchphrases to sway voters for the Lib Dems. I have to say, setting these as questions has really helped me suss out who you're probably all going to be voting for. At Ed underscore Sun on Twitter says, The Lib Dems, for when you're annoyed with both of the proper parties. At Johnny Dobbo has said simply, It really could be worse. Very true. Um, Andy Gilder says he sent to uh, the Lib Dems when don't know isn't an option. And the Lib Dems don't vote Tory. That's our job. At these go to 11 blog says Lib Dems when you don't want to support United or City. Don't forget there's always Oldham. My pal at Beck Hill Comedian uh, has said Lib Dems. Let's give it another go. Please. At Ben Bob Gray says Lib Dems because Labour's going a bit working class for your liking. Uh, and he also said Lib Dems, realism is only a problem for the electable. 
At Unreal McKay says Lib Dems with a leader as gormless looking as we have, our policies must be great. Um, genuinely, if, if you have a chance, watch the clip that came out today of Tim Farron falling off his own campaign bus. Oh man, sheer joy, sheer, sheer joy. It's in the background of a BBC news report and he's trying to get down off the bus and just, oh, it's beautiful, beautiful. Uh, nowhere near as good as the Michael Go falling over, but it, it's definitely up there. Um, at Stephen McDade says Dem Libs, Dem Libs, Dem Dem Libs give Dem Libs some votes I think they should definitely use that with uh, a horribly uh, culturally misappropriated reggae backdrop um, at Hello Dave says Lib Dems we definitely exist at Thinking of Stuff says Lib Dems in a real poor position at Ethan D. Lawrence says Lib Dems 2017 you Tim Farr won't believe how cool and hip and chill we are Easter egg pun lovers I'm almost certain they'd use that. Um, at Linda Heap says Lib Dems, more MPs than UKIP. Just. At Rick Burin uh, says better than gay sex. And we promise we won't raise tuition fees. Yeah, I'm sure that would work. Although, to be fair, Theresa May promised not to have a snap election and she seems to be doing fine. At Budgie says Carlsberg don't make the least worst political parties in the 2017 general election. But if they did. At Observer 4664 says Lib Dem because what have you got to lose? Everything, actually, probably everything. Uh, at Chubb X says Lib Dems, free sex. Well, all the others lie their heads off and just wing it, which I think all the candidates do, to be fair. Um, at Fluff Logic says, please, we will literally beg you, just, just promise you'll at least consider it. Yeah, we fired Clegg. Uh, Paul Jenkins says, Liberal Democrats in an age of extremes stuck in the middle with you. Everyone needs a campaign song. Yeah, but I'd go for something even more middle of the road, I reckon. Um, Andy Zoidberg-Walker says, we absolutely still matter. Uh, Matt Kinson says, it's a sin not to vote for us. And come on, Tim. Uh, Nick Affia says, standing up for nothing in particular since 1988. Andrew Denny says, evade all culpability, vote Liberal Democrat. Philip Alexander says, uh, another song one, Jesus, he knows us and he knows we're right. And Rob Skeen says, the Liberal Democrats, we promise to make the rest of the UK as nice as Westmoreland services, but only one half can have ducks. Next week, slogans for the Green Party, because yes, unlike most TV coverage, I'm putting parties in order of how many MPs they have. Uh, so if you'd like your answers to be read out, then keep your eye on the Purple Bro Twitter and Facebook for when I post the question up next Sunday and send them in. Excellent work, all of you. And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast. If you've enjoyed it, please do send me through some of your hard-earned dosh at our ko-fi.com, ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro or patreon.com forward slash parpolbro sites. Uh, review the show on iTunes or Stitcher. Subscribe and generally just tell everyone about it all the time to the point where it becomes diagnosed as a new sort of compulsive disorder, which would, after all, be great press for the podcast. Do it. Big thanks to Acast for hosting this crazy thing and bigger shout out to my brother, The Last Skeptic, who does all the music that I use on this show and he had his birthday on May the 8th when I recorded this. I mean, obviously, it won't be his birthday by the time you hear this, so why should I give him a bigger shout out? I mean, who's he think he is? The Queen. But look, do follow him online and do check out his tunes that generally have people way better than Ian Duncan Smith rapping over them. I'll be back next week, by which point Theresa May will probably be refusing to speak to anyone unless it's through a hole in the door while she shouts about everyone being out to get her and has all her urine in Dakemark bottles in a cupboard. Be all up in your ear canals like a gondola filled with politics, then. Bye. This week's show was brought to you by the number 300,000. Ah, oh, no, wait, sorry, uh, 80 million. 
Ah, oh, fuck. No, I mean, 64.3 million and then 139.1. Ah, oh, fuck it. This is hard. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 